Backseas Musical Podcast. On June 19, 1987, I saw Faith No More at a club in Milwaukee with 50 people in the crowd. Literally 50 people were there that night, maybe 60. This was well before they released their 1989 album, The Real Thing, long before their 1992 album, Angel Dust, and long before Mike Patton was even a consideration to join the band. They were just getting started long before they would become one of the most respected bands of the 1990s. But that show left a pretty big impression on me because as small as the crowd was, Faith No More played like it was the most important gig of their lives. It was fantastic, but more importantly, I saw them before they started to get really good. As a result, I've been a huge fan of the band for the last 35 years. This is a band that's terribly hard to describe as they always seem to incorporate new ideas into every album. They don't stick to formulas, and if you don't like it, that's okay. It just means there's more Faith No More for the rest of us. My guest today is Faith No More co-founder and keyboard player Roddy Bottom. Since 1983, Roddy has seen the band go through major changes in direction, changes in personnel, tragedy, addiction, and disruptions, including the postponement of their latest tour due to reasons that we'll get into. But that hasn't deterred Roddy Bottom. He's been a longtime member of the pop band Imperial Teen. He's also released music during the pandemic with his longtime partner, Joey Holman, as Man on Man, also a member of the band Cricket. Plus, he scored a number of films and an opera. This is my conversation with Roddy Bottom from Faith No More on Baxi's Musical Podcast. Michael. Hey, Roddy. How are you? I'm good. I'm so sorry. I spaced out. I went grocery shopping. <laughs> well, that's a perfectly fine reason to not to, to not be on time. I, not a problem. Yeah, it's my birthday tomorrow. I'm having a party, so I was doing some... Uh, I have to make the cake today. You have to make a cake for your own birthday party? Hey, I get to make a cake for my own birthday party. <laughs> I'm excited for it. Good for you. Good for you. I, you know, obviously I have a lot to, a lot of questions to ask you and, and we'll probably get to some of it because I've been a fan for an awful long period of time. But before I get into any cool. of that stuff yesterday, I listened to crickets and I freaking loved it. I thought, what, a oh, great, that's cool. what a cool record that is. And you know, it's, I mean, it's stripped down, it's simple, but the vocals on, on, on that were really, really good. I mean, you know, JD's vocals sound a little bit of a combination of Cindy Wilson and, and Bjork to me. I don't know if that. If, if, if anyone has ever said that, but I mean, they're really, really similar. That was a really good record. That's cool. Thanks. I'm glad you appreciate it. Yeah, it was a really weird one. It was a really like concerted, weird project we jumped into. It started as like one thing and pretty much stayed what it was, but we really had this crazy process of just, yeah, stripping things down and taking things away with every project I've ever been involved in. It's all about like overdubs mm -hmm. and adding stuff and getting to the studio and adding and adding and oh, string sounds and oh, a vocal pad and another, it's just adding and adding. So we kind of went into the crickets thing, kind of going the other direction and leading, le leading out of sort of this, we were calling toxic masculinity sort of presence and 
music and we just like uh, the process of stripping things away and taking things away was really liberating and created a great space. I'm glad you like it. It did. Yeah, JD's voice is amazing. I love her voice too. It's it's terrific. So how have uh, how have you been holding up? I know that that uh, this has been a weird time for you guys, and not just as a as a band at Faith No More, but you've also stayed pretty busy in spite of canceling the tour and 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 for understandable reasons. How are things right now with you and with the band? Uh, with me personally, things are pretty great. Like uh, when the pandemic started, we were sort of, uh, I was in New York getting ready for sort of Faith No More shows, but pretty much uh, I was like preparing like to get ready for shows. We hadn't played shows in a long time with Faith No More. And we had like, I don't know, almost 50 songs that we're sort of preparing and getting ready to uh, play live. So it had been a while. So it was kind of like a big undertaking for me here in New York. The rest of the band lives in San Francisco. But it's a big undertaking and kind of a lonely undertaking for me to sort of get my rig together right. for the tour. And I was doing that pretty earnestly, like building what I needed to build, not builds, just like computers and like preamps and stuff but and software. But going through the songs and relearning the songs which sounds easy but it's kind of not it's a lot of songs like 50 songs and it's a lot to take uh to keep track of so i was doing that for a long time and it was a lot of preparation and then kind of like in the middle of it the pandemic hit i don't know it was just a weird crazy time my mom got sick suddenly mm. She didn't really have anything too crazy wrong there was nothing covid it was just like she had this growth on her leg and she lives in California, in Los Angeles. And um, yeah, New York was getting just nuts. Like the pandemic hit and stuff started sort of like escalating really quickly. And I remember I had this conversation with JD about like, she was like, like we were sort of in a crazy place. No one knew, really knew what was going on. People were getting COVID. It was just like a couple cases, dozens, hundreds. And JD goes to me, so what's your, um, what's your escape plan? I was like, what? She goes, what's your, um, you know, what's your escape plan? I'm like, Allison, her boyfriend, her girlfriend, she goes, Allison and I have a car, so we'll just like head out and go upstate. What are you going to do? And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> and I was like, you mean like when we run out of food and people start looting? And she's like, yeah. I was like, fuck. <laughs> and it got really serious just like that. That was the moment I was like, oh my God, like, what are we going to do? So my boyfriend and I kind of like, we started just strategizing. My mom was really sick in California and we made a reservation to just rent a, a truck just to drive to California, just to have that reservation in case things got bad. And it was like a week in advance. And that day came and we just kind of like, uh, things were just getting worse and worse in New York. Like, you know, everyone's on top of each other. And it was like insane, intense sort of conditions of the COVID so the uh, time came up to rent that truck and uh, Joey and I just got in the truck and started driving to California. And it was a really dark, somber, crazy, confusing drive. Like people, it was at that time where like masks were sort of like frowned on, like mm -hmm. people weren't there wearing masks because they weren't available for people and like washing everything. Like we would stop at gas stations and it was just like this crazy process of like gloves and like <laughs> just, it was just an insane, dark, crazy, confusing time. And uh, somewhere along the way, we started thinking about like talking about like, OK, we're going to be in quarantine for a while because we're going to take care of my mom 
She's in Los Angeles, but we had to quarantine for a while before we took care of her. So we started talking about that and talking about like, how long would that be? How long we're going to be in quarantine? How long will this go on for? And we're just sort of basing things off Rachel Maddow, what Rachel's saying at this point. And Rachel is super crazy <laughs> alarmist. Like she was right on the money, actually. But we were like, shit, we're going to be in quarantine for a long time. So we just sort of, we're both musicians, Joey and I are. And uh, we said, well, let's just start making some music together. So on the way to California, we kind of ordered like a, a microphone. Joey had his guitar with him. We had a piano in the house that we were quarantining in Oxnard, California, like 50 miles north of Los Angeles. And we just got all this music stuff delivered there. Not all this, but just enough to like sort of make it work. So we started quarantining and just writing songs together. And that's how the Man on Man project started. We were just like kind of writing basically like love songs to each other that kind of turned into more of a sort of like a queer exploration thing. We made some videos that got popular and people were really into those sort of like what we were doing and it turned into just this thing. Um, but then sidelined by like around that time we were supposed to be doing Faith No More. So I can't remember where that came in the process of COVID, but we had shows coming up and I had learned all those songs. So I went to San Francisco and we were preparing for a couple weeks, just the band playing the songs. And then like the day before we were supposed to leave San Francisco, like three days before, typically my captain will come in and start singing the songs and we'll just get them all down. It takes kind of that long, maybe a couple of days just after the music's all set and he comes in and does his vocal stuff. But uh, right a couple of days before we were going, uh, we just got word from him that he was not able to do the show. And it's sort of like, I mean, from our perspective at that point, like everything was full on sort of moving forward. Like we had like a big lighting rig being built. And, you know, I had learned those songs, 50 songs and built my sound banks. And we had been practicing for two weeks and like, so many people were involved. It was, it's a big machine to get sort of that band like up and running. So it was a huge, crazy, uh, disturbing setback in the throes of COVID too. Again, it was just like, it was just like this crazy, like, um, adjustment we had to make. Like, I think we were all excited. I was excited. I can only speak for myself, but I think most of us were excited about sort of like addressing that band and playing shows we hadn't played shows in a long time and it was uh sort of an opportunity to sort of do things in a way that we hadn't for a while and uh we lost that opportunity it was a big bummer um, well i mean i can i can imagine how disappointing that must have must have been i mean like you say you did all that work and then and, and mike uh you know can no longer because of uh, you know various health issues you know couldn't do it but on the other hand, I kind of like the way, I mean, I respect the way that you guys handled it, you know, publicly where, I mean, you know, here's a guy, you've been playing with him for forever. You're not just treating him as a member of a band, but almost kind of like a member of, of, of the family where, you know, his health came first and then you can worry about, you know, putting the, the, the band back on the road. I, I hope that still is part of the plan and I hope he's doing, doing better. You know, I do too. Like I've uh, spoken with him. I was just in San Francisco. Joey and I just played a show for Gay Pride for Man on Man. And I talked to him a little bit. We were supposed to get together, but we didn't. Things got too confusing. Um, but the point is, yeah, he seems good. And I think things are um, 
on the up and up, everybody in terms of sort of mental sanity, getting through, you know, what we're getting through, I think everything's pretty good. I, I can't say whether we would address shows again or approach that. Uh, it's going to, yeah, I don't, I don't really yeah. don't know what well, will happen. Considering what went on, I'm sure, you know, time will tell on that one, but, uh, but either way. Yeah, it was hard. It was like, I mean, initially it was sort of a lot of resentment on our part. And it was a lot of anger. I was really mad. You know, that's a lot of work to put into something and just, you know, one person just says no and everything gets on hold. So I was really mad at Mike, but at the end of the day, sort of like, it's a really compassionate place. I think like most of us sort of have to go, or we should strive to go in terms of dealing with the COVID and people sort of fall out with the COVID. And this was crazy, just like a result of that. It was like, uh, you know, COVID brain for lack of a better sort of like description. And it just sort of took us like, we really just needed to be compassionate with the scenario. Initially, like we were all pissed off, but I think quickly we just sort of turned it around and like you were saying, it was cool. We were able to deal with it in a little bit more of a familial way. Yeah. I mean, I'm still mad about it, but we got through it. It's just hard going back into it now. It's just, it's a confusing thing. Like the band is like a family. And like you say that in positive ways, like, Oh, that's so good that you dealt with it like a family. Like, yeah, but families <laughs> are fucked up. There's so much dysfunction in families and sort of, you know, there's that with us dysfunction and just like hard stuff to get through so yeah. like making next steps would be like yeah in a functional family sort of way hard so, so getting back to some other stuff though and and and, uh, and, and like i said i do hope that everything uh, you know works out you know well for him and, and for the rest of you guys but um i first saw faith no more in 1987 uh five weeks after introduce yourself had come out and uh, oh wow i was at a club in milwaukee and you guys played in front of i believe 50 people it was a real small crowd i mean you hadn't really gotten to the point where you know commercially things should were taken off yet and and we care a lot was you know just like the first single off that thing and and i just remember watching the show and i was working at a college radio station at the time and just blown away that even though the crowd was small you guys played like your asses were on fire and it was it was just it was just fantastic and i remember you know, all of us are enjoying the hell out of it. And you close with war pigs and we're like, Oh fuck. Yeah. This, these, this band is, is terrific. And that's really before you guys started to truly hit your stride as a band. It's like, you know, early on all of us, you know, early fans could see there was something very, very special about what was going on with faith. No more, even back, uh, as far as 1987 and before that. So thank you for a great night. <laughs> Sure. Thank you for coming. What was that club called? Do you remember? It had gone through a number of different names. I think at the time it was called Club New York or something like that. It was in it was in Milwaukee, but it had been a, a number of other places. I think it was called Club New York or something like that at the time. And uh, it was a, it was a, it was a small club. It probably could have held a hell of a lot more people that night. But the rest of us got a hell of a show. That's cool. I don't remember that one, but it sounds great. I, I you know I actually had to look. I really had to scour the internet to find record of it. Um, you know, things like, uh, you know, setlist.com didn't have it. And, and I finally found it. And it was in, it was like in June of that year is literally just weeks after that record had come out, but it was fantastic. Just fantastic. That's cool. I just pulled out 
uh, my vinyl of uh, of Introduce Yourself, and I thought it was really funny because the back of it it says also available on cassette. I thought, well, that's kind of oh, cool. That's kind of that's kind of that's cool. Maybe it's a collector's item or something. But, yeah, that was pre CDs, I believe. Yeah, right. But I remember, you know, when 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 Chuck Mosley left the band and, and Mike came in, and and I remember thinking uh, to myself, well, how are they going to replace Chuck Mosley? And, and, and the first time I heard you know Mike sing, and I, I, my first reaction is, I don't know about this guy. He, he's no Chuck Mosley. But then I managed to get over that pretty damn quick. Tell me uh, about that transition from the band. I mean, you you lose your lead singer. And a new one comes around, and then all of a sudden things start to really change for you guys. What what was that transition like in between those two guys? It was kind of sad. Like Chuck was a good friend. I mean, he was, I think, in the band, like I was closest to him at that point. Like we met Chuck because Billy was in a band with Chuck when they were in high school, when we were all in high school together. And so he knew Chuck pretty well and brought Chuck into the band. And Chuck, as a front person, was amazing but completely unorthodox and weird and un- non-traditional, like weird anomaly of a singer. But I think everybody like who gravitated to the band at that point in our career was into that aspect of it. Like it was really fucked up and weird. Like it wasn't like so much a punk rock sentiment, mm-hmm. but it was really left of center in the way that punk rock was. Like it was really just like, whoa, kind of like, like, I don't know, like, I don't know if you know that band Slovenly or like bands that have like sort of like really like unconventional singers. It's a tough thing to swallow. And I think like we did really well with Chuck and Chuck was an amazing performer and like pulled it off. But on top of it all, like he was a really good friend and uh, he was a good friend to me, like on the road and doing what we did. And he was just like a lot of fun and someone I sort of relied on as a safe place in the band. Unfortunately, like, I think it's just like, I was basically like, you know, drinking and stuff. Like he just got too inconsistent with drinking and sort of like his attitude involving drinking and alcohol and stuff got to be too intense. So we all kind of like made the collective decision. I think I kind of wasn't on board, but I think I sort of like recognized it at the time and we all made that decision and fired him. And it was really hard. It was a scary, lonely place to like sort of like lose Chuck and lose that friend in the band. So I remember like for a lot of months, it was just like kind of like we didn't really know what we were doing. But honestly, we started off the three of us like Mike Borden, Billy and I started the band and we wrote music together. And so we just started doing that. Like we got rid of Chuck. We just started writing songs and just sort of like leaned into sort of what we were doing. Yeah, when Mike Patton came into the picture, like I never really was like, I wasn't like a fan of Mr. Bungle. Like that's not a, a musical flavor. That's really like my jam. But I remember we were <laughs> up in Arcata near where um, where Mike lived and he had given our band a tape of Mr. Bungle back when we played up there. I think he had given it actually to our guitar player. And he was like, we should try out this guy. And he had a voice that was kind of like... Um, I don't know. I remember hearing his voice and it was like super adept and clearly talented and clearly like on pitch and kind of pitch perfect and really, but really sort of for me, it was like, he could do anything. He could do like, you know, it was like impersonations. He could sing like Axl Rose. He could sing like um, Seal. He could sing like, sing like Chardet. 
he was just had this sort of myriad of sort of different flavors in his voice that was like, wow, okay, well, this guy's super talented and obviously someone that could sort of do what we were looking to do, which, I mean, it's a weird statement to make, but we always had aspirations of being like an MTV band. But we, it was kind of tongue in cheek, but kind of not. But we would always sort of like the three of us, Mike and Billy and I would kind of write pop songs, heavy songs, but then pop songs. And we always thought that was really novel. We always thought like we could be like an MTV band, like a pop band. And someone like Mike coming into the mix with those sort of vocal skills sort of made sense. Like from where we were coming from, we're like, yeah, this could really work. And we had a couple of pop songs that we were writing for uh, the Real Thing record. And I remember like he came down and sort of like, we just went into our studio with him and started working on stuff. And he, uh, I think we recorded a couple of those songs mm -hmm. while he was in town. He visited from out of town. And uh, it was just kind of undeniable what he was able to do with his voice. And so like different from what Chuck was, it was kind of um, for me, like I was had such a strong bond with Chuck. And though I appreciate like a pop sensibility, it was so like different from what Chuck had done. It was super slick and just like in control in a way that we'd never been. And initially for me, I think it was like scary and disturbing. Like, is this a route seriously we want to go? Like. <laughs> It sounded felt really professional and still a little unbridled, but also just um, different. It's and uh, it took a while to sort of like get to speed with like, OK, this is what we're doing. Um, it felt like, yeah, it felt a little bit commercially crass, maybe, you know, for lack of a better term. Like it was different. It was like more traditional rock than like I was saying, like Chuck had been like non-traditional and super like you know so left of center and suddenly we were involved with someone that was like the opposite of that and it was like a weird thing to get on board with all of us that's uh, a long answer no it's a, it's but it's a it's a good answer because <laughs> you, you talk about you know being you know wanting to be an mtv band and you have epic which is kind of an mtv friendly song especially you know in that moment where you're starting to see other bands starting to 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 be played on mtv and and this is before grunge and kind of for like the the hair metal bands were really you know changing things that video alone you know really changed the course of the rest of your career so i yeah. mean once that happened i mean did it how did it change the band i mean again you know two years before that you're playing to 50 people at a club in milwaukee and all of a sudden now you're like you got a legitimate hit on your hands yeah i think the thing also like it took a really long time for that to sort of take off like we put out that record the real thing record and we toured like literally i think we almost toured two years on that record mm. and so by the time like we were going back and forth from england a lot to england a lot and uh england really embraced the band in a huge way way before america did and um so we had success over there and we kept playing back and forth like we go over to england and we play these huge shows and we come back to america do more touring play these really little shows and go we just kept going back and forth and back and forth and it kept getting bigger and bigger in england and um i think at one point sort of like someone 
suggested the company Warner Brothers slash whatever come over to England and see what was going on over there in terms of like the success of the band. And they did, they came over and saw this show that we played in London. And I remember like kids broke the barricade. It was just bonkers. Like it was a really huge show and it was like a big deal. And I think that sort of triggered like sort of our American label to sort of like, oh, seize the opportunity that was in front of them. So they kind of went back and sort of like made the epic video sort of happen yeah. in whatever ways like big businesses do that. But my point is like, it had just gone on for so long. By that point, we were two years into like the game of like working the real thing. And that meant like, you know, just interviews and relentless sort of just like, I mean, covering every base. Like we were doing like, we weren't a metal band at all, but uh, I think we got a little bit of attention around that time from like Metallica, like James wore a Faith No More shirt. And we started like the perspective of like who we were started, started skewing that way. Like all of a sudden, oh, they're a metal band. Like look at the guitar players that like really long. You know, it sort of turned into this different thing. And so like magazines of that elk started like doing stuff with us and weird like rocker magazines like uh, Rip or like these weird like these <laughs> magazines in which like they would focus on like Mike as the singer and kind of like pretty boy and like good looking like, you know, and it sort of went a lot of different directions that everybody was kind of uncomfortable with. So it was a tough two years of sort of like dealing with that. Like, who are we? Are we this? Like, it, it, it was like the insinuation that we were like, I mean, for me anyway, I think everybody pretty much ultimately relaxed into the, like the concept of Faith No More being kind of a metal band. But mm -hmm. like, I don't know. I've never liked heavy metal. It's not my back. And so for me, it was just like a weird like transition. I mean, for everyone, it was a weird transition, like who we are as a band. So two years in, we're still working uh, the real and then, you know, playing small clubs in America and all of a sudden, like, then it sort of broke. So by the time it broke and started, like, you know, like, we started to see the fruits of that, we were sort of, like, just over it. So this year is the, the 30th anniversary of, of Angel Dust. And you know, what's interesting to me as a, as a fan is the, the noticeable progression from the real thing to Angel Dust. It's like you guys not only found your voice, but even Mike is singing differently. He's now singing like a guy who knows exactly what he wants to sound like in this voice. But the rest of you are, are coming along as well. And, you know, there's a big difference between those two records. Was it, a, obviously, that had to be somewhat of a conscious decision to, to, to kind of shed that metal cloak and to do something that was still to this day considered to be one of the, the, the best albums of the 90s. Yeah, definitely it was a pivot for us. And it's like, I mean, everything I just talked about, like sort of like becoming like what, we were as a band via the real thing. The real thing was Mike's sort of first sort of venture into the band and our first venture with him as a singer. And I think we really aimed for like commercial smash in some weird way. Like we still had attitude and stuff, but like we were really like conscious of like, you know, where we were going and like the acceptability of it and sort of like not to make a commercially acceptable record, but like, like I was saying, we really liked pop songs. And I think, yeah, we got a lot of attention for specifically that. So I don't know, sort of like being the band that we were, we were always just sort of a provocative bunch of people that were like, you know, like if one thing was expected of us, we went the other direction. So we sort of like 
I think, yeah, consciously just like leaned into like, no, we are not that. You have no idea what we are. And I was kind of like begging the question like, oh, do you like that record? Well, let's see how you like this. <laughs> and we really leaned into the like, yeah, the weirdness aspect for sure. You know, one of the things that 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 I think has gone really overlooked with Faith and More is people just don't, I don't think they shower enough praise over the rhythm section of this band. I mean, Mike Borden and Billy Gold, I mean, t- together are just so phenomenal that it's like, you know, there's like two guys that just never get the credit that they deserve. They're so freaking good together. Tell me about those two. I mean, you, you started the band with those two guys. Tell me a little bit about, uh, about both of them. Yeah. Billy and I grew up together. We sort of went to grammar school together and moved up to San Francisco Bay area at the same time. And yeah, he started playing music sort of, I think, um, in high school, I guess. And when we moved up to the Bay area, he started a band with Mike. It was called Faith No Man. And uh, there was a different keyboard player in it and a singer in it. The keyboard player quickly quit and I joined the band. But the two of them as a unit, yeah, I just sort of think like, uh, yeah, they had sort of a musical bond. They both met in Berkeley and uh, Mike Borden had a crazy amount of energy and was just like always this crazy rad drummer. He like, had his toms really high up. He played in a weird open stance. Uh, and Billy and he were really into like dub and reggae and sort of like, yeah, intense rhythm things. Yeah. Uh, they had a real relationship. And I think, it, yeah, it started out, it seemed to start out like specifically in the sort of dub world and like reggae sort of like, not traditional reggae, but more like Dr. Alamantado or Yellow Man mm-hmm. or um, even like Sly and Robbie production, like sort of like rhythms and bass sort of vibes along those lines. Um, that was sort of the root of, I think, their friendship and sort of like writing and making music together. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for sure, they play really well together. There was a period after Angel Dust that I know that you had some you know real struggles yourself, and I know that you know that the King for a Day album you know, initially didn't have many keyboards at all, and you were kind of in a in a different uh, different space. Tell me about that that period. I know you had some some issues, but then you eventually found your way out of it. Tell me how that how that happened. Yeah, it was sort of. I think at that point, like the band had been together for like over ten years, and we were sort of like reaching a point that was sort of. Uh, I don't know. We were making decisions and sort of like going in different directions. Also, I was doing a bunch of drugs at that time. And I had like sort of like that was an issue for me. I was like doing a lot of heroin. And then I kind of got addicted to that a little bit and sort of like had to go to rehab and get clean from that. At the same time, like my dad uh, got really sick and I had cancer and was dying. Mm. And a couple of people like Kurt Cobain, who was a good friend of mine, like passed away right at that time. My other friend Cliff passed away right at that time it was just like three people died like really suddenly right in this really intense time and then I was getting sober and breaking up with this boyfriend that I had had for like a really long time who was like not good for me and uh it was just a lot of things that sort of came into the forefront of my life and I kind of just like I was like I can't do this band I do not have the bandwidth to sort of like do this and it was sort of like, I think it was in terms of sort of like dealing with like being a gay person in that band too. Like I kind of didn't want to be that. And the band at that point was like sort of viewed as such a crazy macho sort of vibe. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe that's 
I don't know. It was hard for me to deal with on a lot of different. I'm not like projecting anyone else's sort of like any blame onto anyone else in this beside myself. But I was just going through a lot of confusing times. And at that time, too, I started like I really just needed to make myself happy. So I started making music with my other friends, Imperial Teen. And I just felt very pure and sort of like made more sense. And it was really just a focus that I just wanted to do. I didn't really want to do Faith No More anymore. And we had lost the guitar player. And it was like, oh, God, back to the drawing board, finding another sort of like guitar player just sounded daunting. And then in the same way that we pivoted from like the real thing to Angel Dust, like we had done Angel Dust. And then it was like clear, like after that tour cycle was done, okay, we're going to pivot again. And it seemed to be the sort of like the move that was happening was like people were really like no judgment but like like i was saying like the mr bungle vibe of like crazy time signatures and weird sort of erratic like <laughs> you know like that's not my bag at all and uh heavy 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 can be my bag and i kind of can get into that but like not as much as it was i think for the other guys and weird for the other guys in faith and more and weird for me were two different things I sort of like talked myself into it and the band talked to them about it and it was a hard decision and no, I wasn't so into it. Like I went, we went to um, Bearville in um, upstate New York and uh, made a record for like some months and it was a struggle. Trey came in and played guitar and that was different, but I didn't ever feel that connected to the material. When you were rehearsing, uh, you know, for this, this last tour, did you feel different about the music now than you did at, at the time that you're talking about? Yeah, I do. Like I sort of gravitate more towards like the simple sort of like pretty songs and songs that are like more straightforward. There's some songs on it that are really just like erratic and crazy. And I know that's the popular thing amongst faith. No more people. It's not kind of like when I'm loving so much, but I do have a better appreciation for it now for sure. Yeah. yeah. It was just like at the time I was so thick in it. And I didn't know how to get out. And I, I, I really didn't feel like a part of a lot of those songs. So it was hard for me to sort of like feel invested in any way. Now, though, when I look back on them, I do appreciate them. I mean, I never listen to stuff unless I'm sort of learning it for like shows that we would do. But yeah, I have a different sense of appreciation for it, for sure. You mentioned uh, Man on Man, which is you know something that's uh, go- ongoing now. And you're, you're doing shows and you and Joey are, are, are playing not a full tour but you are playing around and when you are writing music today I, I i'm going to assume that there's a much deeper connection especially with man on man a much deeper connection between you and what you're writing than maybe you've ever had the opportunity to do before is that i mean is that a decent assessment no i think that's a really good assessment like i mean that was sort of the disconnect when we were writing king for a day i didn't have that connection with the music And that's what sort of like caused a disconnect between me and the rest of the band and sort of like the project in general. I just didn't really like feel it. Uh, At that point, I started Imperial Teen and those were I was making songs with people that I really like sort of like felt a connection with in a different way. And it, it really sort of like catapulted sort of my like musical inspirational sort of like where I went to a different level. Yeah. Flash forward to like now, like. I mean, it's so personal. The things that like Joey and I are making like a record. I'm not, not, I'm not saying it's like better or worse or anything, but it's just like 
the only way that I can sort of like get on board with a musical sort of project is to be completely invested in it personally. So like, yeah, the man on man record is just like basically love songs that we're writing to each other and about each other and about the queer community. And that's a super strong place and strong connection that we have. And other things that I've been doing since then, since that Imperial Teen Juncture was like crickets, like same thing, like it, it had a real mission and a real sort of like life force um, theme that we sort of like uh, adapted and felt really personally about it. And even like I wrote an opera and worked this opera for a long time, same thing, like the story of that and creating a story, it was like a very personal involvement. It's hard for me to like get involved in a sort of like project without that personal involvement. Sometimes people will reach out and like ask me to sort of do like a collaboration or do you want to make music to this thing? And if I don't have that, it doesn't, there's not really a point in it for me to be involved. Like even when I left San Francisco, like in 2000, I moved back to Los Angeles when Faith No More was sort of winding down and, um, I started doing film for TV and movies and it's, it was fun for a while, but eventually became that it was clear. Like I have no personal involvement or sort of like connection to this and what am I doing? And it sort of struck me like looking back at this music I'm making right now, if I were like on my deathbed and I'm looking back on my career, it's like, I'm not proud of this. Like it was <laughs> fine. It was a fun thing to do. And I was doing like kids shows and like, making okay money and like doing good work and I liked it but it really there was no connection beyond sort of like serving a bigger purpose like and it just like at one point like I had to just pack it in and say I can't do this anymore I don't really feel that connection to it it's very obvious when you listen to to man on man how how personal this is for your for both of you guys because I mean it, it really is a very intimate portrait of your relationship together and in a, in a way, I mean, crickets is 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 uh, you know, feels very personal too, in an impersonal way, with it being so stripped down. But I can understand what you're what you're saying that you know, to in order to really feel a part of something, it's almost like you're you gotta you gotta purge all the these emotions and this energy into this before we have a real sense that okay, this is my stuff now. I think that's really cool that that uh, yeah, because I mean, not every not every artist has the ability to really open themselves up like that. Yeah. I mean, I was lucky enough to sort of have made enough money from Faith No More to sort of like, or whatever, whatever reason, like I'm okay, like financially, I don't need to sort of like invest all of my sort of endeavors into like money making sort of like projects. And I'm lucky in that way that I'm able to sort of like, yeah, follow my heart more than the dollar sign or whatever. Not a bad place to be. Yeah. Well, Roddy, you know, best of luck. Like I said, I've had a, a great appreciation for your work for, for many years. Have a great birthday. Thank Hope you. I appreciate that. Do you go by Michael or Mike? I go by either one. Actually, most people call me Bax because my last name is Baxendale. They, they just. Right, right, right. I picked up on that. But, Roddy, I, I really do appreciate the time. And, and, uh, and again, good luck with making the cake. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> appreciate your chat. Thanks. Take care now. Bye-bye. Again, check out Roddy's work with Cricket and Man on Man and stay tuned to find out when and if Faith No More gets back on the road. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to share it, review it, and tell all your friends about it. You can reach me at Bax at rock102.com. I'd love to know what you think, and I hope to see you next time on Baxi's Musical Podcast.